We'll be looking tonight in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We have considered, uh, for God so loved. We have considered that God so loved the world, the object of God's love. Tonight we'll consider this glorious truth. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so loved that he gave. Like any passage of Scripture, this one had a context, and we've noticed that uh, this passage was spoken to the religious leader, Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night. Uh, Jesus broke right past his questions, as, and his question was basically, Who are you? <laughs> we know that you're a teacher come from God because no man can do the things that you do except God be with him. Underneath that question, probably unspoken, was just a hint of what was almost unspeakable or unthinkable. Are you the Messiah? John the Baptist had identified him as such. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So there's no question that Nicodemus was well familiar with who John the Baptist was, the first prophet of the New Testament, the last prophet of the Old Testament. And that he had so clearly identified Jesus as the promised one. We also understand that Nicodemus was seeking confirmation for that, but he didn't get it. Nicodemus had a bigger problem than curiosity about who Jesus was. He had a spiritual problem. And that spiritual problem had to be addressed. And Jesus made it so. Nicodemus, you must be born again. But as he was interacting then with Nicodemus, we had this glorious truth. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The gift of God then is what Jesus would introduce Nicodemus to. We spring forward one whole chapter. John chapter 4. Another setting, another person. One of the great things about John's gospel, if you've never done it, I'd encourage you to sit down and read John's gospel in one sitting. Uh, it's way shorter than a Louis L'Amour Western, or if you prefer a Harlequin romance, way shorter than that. Nobody reads Harlequin romance, I understand. Uh, way shorter than some novel. Uh, you can read it in a matter of minutes, certainly less than an hour. All 20 chapters. As you're reading through John's gospel, I want you to notice, pay particular attention to the people that John calls attention to and how much time that he spends discussing Jesus' interaction with individual people. Nicodemus, John chapter 3, gets a whole chapter. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Now, it's interesting that Jesus really didn't answer Nicodemus's question, but he did answer hers. <laughs> uh, other people were coming to Jesus asking him, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? This woman would say to him, we know that 
the Messiah is going to show us all things when he comes. <laughs> and Jesus said, you're talking to him. Amen. That's my words. He that speaketh unto you am he. I, I'm he. What he didn't tell Nicodemus, he did tell the woman at the well. Yes, I'm the Messiah. But here in John chapter 4, he brings up that subject of the gift. Uh, the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus has answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, God so loved the world that he gave. Next chapter, the gift of God. And who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You know, the, the context of this statement could not possibly have been any different. This was not a Jewish religious leader, not a person who uh, was well respected and admired a part of the Jewish aristocracy, the ruling class in Israel at that time. Instead, this is a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman. Nicodemus, you might think, had his life all together. Uh, this woman did not, not at all. We can't help but notice how amazed she was. <laughs> how is it that you, being a Jew, of all things, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? Would you actually drink a cup of water from my hand, a Samaritan woman? The very idea of such a thing was incredible to her. How can you, being a Jew, interact with me in this way? Uh, she had no way of knowing that she was a living, breathing, walking, talking demonstration of what Jesus had just said to Nicodemus in the previous chapter. God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his only begotten son. God didn't just love the Jewish people. He loved the world. And here he is in Samaria. By design, a divine appointment. You might think that John chapter 3 and chapter 4 just ended up there together by coincidence. Oh, no, 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 it was not. Carefully planned out by the Holy Spirit, as far as John's writing is concerned, carefully planned as far as what Jesus did. God so loved the world. God didn't just love well-adjusted, well-off Caucasian people or well-adjusted, well-off Jewish people. Uh, God loves the world, the world, all people. And here she was. This woman did not know the gift of God. He would rebuke Nicodemus. Are you a master of Israel and you don't know about the new birth? You don't know about the gift of God? He should have, of all things. That same thing could be said of a lot of people in the world today who have, like David said, I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the house of the holy. They had been to God's house. They knew who God was. They had studied. They had heard him preach. There are multitudes of people in this world today who are in exactly the same shape that Nicodemus was. They have every reason to know the gift of God. They have every reason to have received it, but they have not. Are you a master of Israel? And yet you don't know these things. Jesus rebuked him. But he didn't rebuke this woman. Not at all. If you only knew. That's what he said. 
if you only knew. And if we know and can identify many people in our country tonight who have every reason to know, they have heard, they have been to church, they've read the Bible, they know who Jesus is, they know what he did, they have had every opportunity to be saved and they haven't, they've turned their back and said no to Jesus. We also knew people, know multitudes of people, that it could be said to them, if you only knew the gift of God, if you only knew what God has available for you, and Jesus was saying that to this woman, if you only knew. And as he said that, he was both the gift and the ultimate giver of the gift of God. This woman had a need she didn't know about. She needed living water. And there's only one source for that. When I thought about living water in preparation for this message, I I, th I thought about the world's finest bottled water. If you don't believe it, just ask them. That's Fiji water. It better be good at $3 for a little sip. <clears throat> it better be good. It comes supposedly from only one source, and that is an artesian spring located on the largest island in Fiji. Fiji water. Well, they say they bottle about 30 million gallons of that stuff a month. I don't know if that's true or not. But I know this much. If you want living water, there's only one place to get it. And that is from the Lord Jesus Christ. She had no idea. She had come there for water. She had come to Jacob's well. She had no idea that she needed another kind of water. Jesus knew, but she didn't. She had a need then that she didn't know about. And as such, she is a mirror image reflection of multitudes of people, yes, in our world today. They have a need that they don't know about. But she wouldn't stay in the dark for long because Jesus would tell her that he was the Messiah. She would believe in who he was and run quickly full of excitement to tell everybody, come see a man who told me all things that I'd ever done. Is not this the Christ? I love it when people get saved and they can't wait to tell everybody. I love it when I get those late-night phone calls. Brother Rich, somebody's, my son's got something, my daughter got something they want to tell you. I love it. I love it. Call me on my cell phone. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I got unlimited talk, uh, talk and text. Call me. Let me know. That's great news. I love it when people get saved. And, and they're excited. They want to tell everybody then about Jesus. She went back to that town that she lived in and called all the people of that town. Come see a man who told me all things that ever I had done is not this. Christ. You see, it's not a coincidence that God put these two passages together and both of these people got a message about the gift of God. God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. If you knew the gift of God, the gift of God, Tonight I want to spend some time looking at the gift of God. We're going to consider some passages that relate to this honestly. There are multitudes of passages that I could bring up that relate to this great subject that's introduced to us in John chapter 3. But we've set it in its context. We understand who that gift is. We understand the gift and the giver. 
is one and the same. That's Jesus Christ. Let's look at some passages then that relate to what this means to us. Let's start out in Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Isn't that a great passage? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? It is especially great, again, when we set in his context. Romans 8, 28, For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, the same He also did predestine to be conformed to the image of His Son. Moreover, whom He predestined, them He also called. Them He called, Him He also justified. Him He justified, them He also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Sometimes it seems like to me that any time somebody brings up Romans 8.28 to me, it's usually when something bad has happened. Have you all ever noticed that? Uh, that's probably not the best time in the world to talk about Romans 8.28. Well, you know, the Bible says all things work together for good. Well, my best friend just died, or we just lost my dog, or this happened, or that happened. Well, all things work together for good. That's probably not a good time to bring up that passage when a person's in the midst of tragedy. We need to be more sensitive. But it is in that context that Paul asked the question, what shall we then say to these things if God be for us and he is? Who can be against us? What that means within its context is that God is absolutely trustworthy. And when he tells us that all things, not one particular isolated thing, but all things are working together for our good, he means it. He means that he is working these things and the end result of these things is going to be good. Why? Because God's on our side. He's not against us. He's for us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? This doesn't mean that God will give us a Ferrari like Thomas Magnum had that we can drive for free. You may have a Ferrari. God bless you if you do. But you don't have a Ferrari because of what the truth of this passage is. No, we, we combine this with 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 where Simon Peter says, According as his divine power hath given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. There's that gift of God again. But you see, when God gave us his son, it came with a lot of other things. And those things are all the things that we need that pertain unto life and godliness. Let me put it to you this way. When God saved you, when God gave us Jesus Christ and that glorious gift of God, uh, the glorious gift of salvation, along with that, he gave us everything we needed to live the way he wanted us to live and to be the kind of men or, woman, men or women that God wants us to be. All things pertaining to life and godliness. God did not hold anything back to us. 
back from us. We can't look at God and say, well, God, you didn't give me what I needed to do what you've asked me to do. That's not the truth. God did not spare his own son. With him then came all of these other blessings. To me, it is one of the most terrible scourges on genuine Christianity to see the health and wealth prosperity gospel that fills the airways of American Christianity today. Preached from pulpits all over the country. God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. You know, I've visited some third world countries where people believed in Jesus Christ every bit as much as you and I do. They love him. They serve him. They live for him. And they live in poverty. Poverty. Some of them live under constant peril of their life and of their family's life. We're so blessed here in America, sometimes I think we lose sight of just how blessed we really are. That God has provided us with so many wonderful things and so much security and so much freedom uh, that we have. Um, many, many of God's children are living in a poverty unimaginable to us. And that's nothing new. In fact, throughout all the many centuries, probably more of the followers of Jesus Christ have lived in poverty than have lived in opulence and wealth. Uh, it's been that way throughout all of history. So when God says that he will, with his son, freely give us all things, don't, don't let somebody pervert that into telling you that that means that God is going to give you two or three uh, falcon jets. No, no. It means that God is going to give you what you need to live the life that he wants you to live and be the man or woman that he wants you to be. All things pertaining to life and godliness. God's gift of his son included many other gifts and there's an extended discussion of that in Romans chapter 5. We'll not have time to look at all of these passages tonight, but verse 16 of Romans chapter 5, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. And what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 5 is what we got through Adam and what we got through Christ. And simple truth of it tonight is that every person you ever meet is in one person or the other. They are either in Adam or in Christ. If they're in Adam, they're headed for hell. If they're in Christ, they're headed for heaven. That is the great ultimate distinction between all people everywhere. In Adam, the Bible says, all die. But in Christ shall all be made alive. What a contrast that is. In Adam or in Christ. Paul's talking about it in Romans chapter 5. Now, I don't know, you know, if you ever thought about it very much, but none of us got to have any choice at all about the circumstances of our birth. The Bible tells us that we were born under the condemnation of God. David said, in sin, my mother conceived me. Uh, you know, I've always liked the, the saying that mankind is born with his back toward God, and in a way, that's true. Um, 
All of our life we have lived under the condemnation of sin. Now there's a time when before a child reaches the age of accountability when they're safe. They're not saved, but they're safe. But still, the doctrine of total hereditary depravity means that we inherited something from our Father, and that is being under the condemnation and the presence of sin. We didn't get any say about it. Nobody asked me. I didn't get to vote. You didn't either. I didn't get to vote on anything about the circumstances of my birth. I didn't get to pick my parents. Didn't get to pick where I was going to be born, when. Nothing about it was up to me. I had absolutely no say in that. So in the sense, when they're talking about our condemnation in Adam, Paul is telling us that one is really not like the other. One is distinct from the other because we don't have anything to do with the circumstances of our birth. We were born in sin. We were born under the power of sin. And unless we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, we will die in our sins. It's just the way it is. But... Thank God for the free gift because the free gift which came from many offenses and that is that Jesus Christ's death was the result of your sin and your sin and your sin and your sin and yours and mine. He died for our sins. That's the gospel. According to the scriptures, he died for our sins, our sins. And so the free gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. But though we had no say in the circumstances of our birth, we had no say in being born in sin. We had no say in being born under the curse, under the condemnation of God. Look at Romans 5.18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Jesus Christ, you see, made the decision to be obedient in all things unto God even to the death of the cross. Philippians chapter 2 tells us, even to the death of the cross. And therefore, when we believe on him, we receive not just justification, which means to be declared righteous in accordance with God's law, we are found to be justified. But we also, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 18, receive the justification of life so that we can be made righteous. And not just righteous in, our, in God's sight, which is an inherent righteous, that imputed righteousness that uh, comes because when God sees us, He sees us washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. But in this passage, He talks about justification of life, a practical righteousness, so that we can be obedient as Jesus was obedient. Along then with that gift comes not just the gift of salvation, not even just the gift of Jesus Christ, but there is the gift of justification of life. 
as the truth of God then begins to live out in your life and mine, as we learn more and more about Jesus Christ, and as we are more submissive to the Holy Spirit, as we talked about before. And Paul would write in this passage that David, that death had reigned from Adam to Moses. That's in Romans chapter 5. And if you look back in Genesis chapter 5, that was the un, uh, unparalleled uh, consequence of every life with the exception of only one, Enoch. Enoch who lived and who went to heaven without dying. But all the rest of them, they lived and they died. But now the free gift of God brings justification but that free gift must be received. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 makes it very plain for us, As every man hath received the gift. As you have received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We receive the gift and that's how we receive salvation. John told us he came into his own, but his own did what? Received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. We receive him by believing on him. Though we had no choice in the matter when it came to being born in sin and born in condemnation, we were we are under the penalty of sin until we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. And so we receive the gift of God. And I love the fact that in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, as he talks about receiving that gift, he says then we become stewards of the manifold grace of God. Uh, the word manifold in that passage has to do with something that is multicolored. Multicolored grace of God. God's grace has many colors. Uh, you know, I, I read uh, some research that said that uh, women, this is going to be a remarkable thing for you, that women uh, actually uh, tend to see colors better as a general rule than men. And every one of you says, amen. I'm not sure what the color fuchsia is. Chartreuse, I know very well. I know chartreuse. Uh, I know that one well. It's kind of a green and yellow. I can see that one good. Um, but, uh, you know, guys, uh, we just uh, kind of see things black, brown, and gray, and blue. And, um, we don't see colors quite as well as you ladies do. The many-colored grace of God. God's grace has many hues. Some of them are dark. The reason why God's grace sometimes is dark colored because you and I go through some dark times. God's got grace for that. We go through a lot of happy times. God has a lot of bright colored grace. So that whatever it is that we're experiencing in our life, God has exactly the grace that we stand in need of for that moment in time. Whatever it is. And the good news is that he has made us stewards of that so that we actually have a role to play in ministering that grace to one another. We have received it freely. Jesus told us then, give it freely. 
What's that mean? It means God has been gracious to us. So every now and then we need to give each other a little grace. Amen. The world needs the grace of God, but it needs the grace of God's people too. Give people grace. Minister the same one to another. We have been made recipients of that great gift, what the Bible calls the unspeakable gift. We minister then the same one to another as good stewards of the grace of God. Like I have said about every one of these passages that I preached on on Sunday night, I, I could preach a month just on the gift of God. The passages are all over the Bible. I just picked out a few that God brought to my mind and heart to bring to you tonight uh, to discuss some of the implications of the gift of God. Most importantly, God's gift brings us salvation. Salvation through Jesus Christ, that is the essence of God's gift. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son. Had God simply saved us from the penalty of our sins so that we didn't have to go to hell, God would have done more for us than any of us deserved. And all of us could say amen to that. But he didn't stop there. Because he that spared not his own son freely gives us all things, all things pertaining unto life and godliness Oh, God blesses us and blesses us and blesses us with His grace, His gift to us through Jesus Christ. I wonder tonight, have you received that gift? Think with me for a moment about Christmas morning. All around you, your kids, your grandkids, and maybe some combination of all the same. Around that tree are all those marvelous presents. And if you're like me and your house is kind of like my house, your kids and the father of that family have been sneaking around trying to peek and figure out what was in those presents. They're just fascinated by them. You reach down and pick out one of those presents and hand it to one of those children. Here, this is a present just for you. Well, they look at you and say, I don't want that. That's not what you do to a gift, is it? Now, after they see what it is, they might say, ah, you know. <laughs> if they're like mine, they'll put the toys down and play with the box. Amen? I mean, that's... Uh, I keep telling Nancy, one of these days we need to save money and just go buy some boxes and wrap them up. That won't work. I know, I know. That's what she says, too. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How can you say no to that? Many do. Don't be among their number. If you go out of this service tonight, you go out of this service in exactly the same boat that Nicodemus was in. How can you not know this? 
You should know it. You've heard it. This is God's free gift of salvation to you. Will you receive it? Let's stand together.